the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, folks, though sometimes we can look back and see specifically what God, in His kindness, intended to accomplish by our suffering, there are other times we just have to be content with knowing that in general, suffering is producing sanctification in our lives, spiritual growth in our lives. We know that from Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And the very next verse tells us the good that God is working in our lives. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. We are becoming more Christ-like in character. And it's through suffering. It's through suffering. Now the question is, what does that look like? What appearance does it have when we speak of being more like Christ? How? Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will wrap up his series of Bible classes about what might be the most popular passage in the entire Bible, Psalm 23. We are glad you could join us for this encouraging conclusion. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I'll tell you more about that at the end of today's broadcast. The last verse of Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But if we're honest, we have to admit that it doesn't always look that way, does it? Oswald Chambers observed, Suffering is the heritage of the bad, of the penitent, and of the Son of God. Each one ends in the cross. The bad thief is crucified. The penitent thief is crucified. And the Son of God is crucified. By these signs, we know the widespread heritage of suffering. Well, that's very true, but we also know it by personal experience, don't we? Suffering is everywhere, and sometimes it seems to even be getting worse. So then, how do we reconcile David's claim at the end of this wonderful psalm with what we so often see and feel? If you have your Bible, keep your finger there at Psalm 23, but turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Here's Pastor Steve with some food for thought. Folks, There are times in our lives when God just doesn't make it clear to us. He doesn't make it clear to us either why, if he's so good and loving, that we have to experience so much pain in our lives. He doesn't make that clear to us. Why that that works, how that works together, what he's doing. But we do know that there is a reason. We know that there's a reason and that in spite of our pain, God knows what he's doing. We may not know the reason, but God does. He knows what he's doing, even if he doesn't reveal that reason to us. And I say that, I say that because of the words found in Isaiah chapter 55. Let me read this to you. This is just wonderful. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts 
than your thoughts. Think about that. God is telling us that we don't understand all that he's doing. In fact, we don't understand a lot of what he's doing. His thoughts are so great. Commenting on these words, one Bible teacher said this, the implication is that just as the heavens are so high above the earth that by human standards their height cannot be measured, so also are God's ways and thoughts so above those of man that they cannot be grasped by man in their fullness. In other words, the ways and thoughts of God are incomprehensible to man. So there are times that we just don't understand how to reconcile God's love with the pain that he has ordained for our lives, but we don't have to understand it because Paul wrote that we walk by faith and not by sight. See, the only way to have peace in the midst of that pain is to apply our faith. To really believe in our hearts, to count on this truth that what God says in his word is absolutely true. That his twin virtues of goodness and mercy are following us even when we can't see them. And that he being wise has sent this pain into our lives for a good reason, a reason that he deems necessary. Once again, listen to these very helpful words from our friend Jerry Bridges. He says, if we are to experience peace in our souls in times of adversity, we must come to the place where we truly believe that God's ways are simply beyond us and stop asking him why or even trying to determine it ourselves. This may seem like an intellectual cop-out, a refusal to deal with the really tough issues of life. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's a surrender to the truth about God and our circumstances as it is revealed to us by God in his inspired word. What a great statement. Great. So there are times when we suffer and we may never understand why or how God's kindness fits in with that suffering, at least not in this lifetime. But there are other times when God does give us some insight and some explanation as to the reason that we're suffering. For example, sometimes he brings suffering into our lives in order to demonstrate his glory and his power in a very unique way. And I'd like you to see this illustrated in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, it's a story of Lazarus and Jesus. In John chapter 11, we read starting at verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus let Lazarus, his friend, die. When word reached him, he was just sick. But he let him die. He didn't rush off to heal him. And the sisters of Lazarus were disappointed and They didn't understand why the Lord would let his friend and their brother die. In fact, they say this in verse 21. After the Lord gets there, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not 
have died. But Jesus did let Lazarus die. And the question is why? So that he would be glorified by raising Lazarus from the dead. And that was all part of our Lord's plan to bring about the events that eventually led to his death. Let me show you a little bit further. Same chapter, notice starting in verse 47. This is after Lazarus has been raised from the dead and people are excited about this and they're telling everybody about this and they tell the Jewish religious leaders about this. And so we read in verse 47, therefore the chief priests and Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you take into account that it's expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, meaning he didn't know what he was really saying. He's just saying Jesus has to die. He has to die. God sovereignly was making a statement through him, but he didn't have any clue. Verse 52, and now not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. It was all part of God's plan that he did not come and heal Lazarus because he had a greater purpose in all of this. Now, it wasn't apparent to anyone at the time why Jesus let Lazarus die. And why he let Mary and Martha, his sister, suffer so much. This is their only brother. They know the Lord. They've seen the Lord heal other people. And he doesn't heal their brother and his friend. But listen, God's goodness and his love were still following them. And it eventually became apparent as to his good purposes in their suffering. But at the time, they didn't know. We see the same thing in the sufferings of Joseph in the Old Testament. In Genesis, we read about Joseph, one of Jacob's son, who suffered greatly and unjustly. First, his brother sell him into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt, where his master's wife lies and maliciously accuses him of trying to physically violate her. So he's thrown into prison, and he's a forgotten man in prison. And at this point in his life, who would blame Joseph if he wondered why God sent so much suffering and, and pain in his life? But eventually, it becomes clear to Joseph because through divine providence, he's released from prison to interpret a dream by Pharaoh. And then as a result of this, he becomes prime minister of the entire country of Egypt where he is put in the position now to save the Jewish nation, the fledgling nation from dying due to starvation from a worldwide famine. And so we read at the end of Genesis, in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph's own testimony to, to how, of how though he suffered all of this pain, God's goodness and loving kindness never stopped following him. He says to his brothers, you meant evil against me. He didn't deny that what they did was wrong, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. To preserve, yeah, a whole nation that God had promised they would flourish, and all the promises of God and all the promises of a coming Messiah are tied to that nation. God meant it for good, even though at the time, nobody could see it. 
Now, folks, though sometimes we can look back and see specifically what God in his kindness intended to accomplish by our suffering, there are other times we just have to be content with knowing that in general, suffering is producing sanctification in our lives, spiritual growth in our lives. We know that from Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And the very next verse tells us the good that God is working in our lives. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. We are becoming more Christ-like in character, and it's through suffering. It's through suffering. Now, the question is, what does that look like? What appearance does it have when we speak of being more like Christ? How? Well, I'll tell you, for one thing, it results in being more committed to learning and obeying God's word. That's where it begins. Psalm 119, verse 67, says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. When God is doing a work of of sanctification in your life, you went astray, but now you are committed to keeping his word. The psalmist went on to say in verse 71, it's good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. I went astray, you afflicted me, I've returned, and I'm more diligent than ever to put my face in your book and learn the word of God. It was the German reformer Martin Luther who supposedly said, were it not for tribulation, I should not understand the scriptures. So thank God for tribulation. Spiritual growth also results in being more humble, Humbled by our suffering. If you're suffering, God's doing a work of humbling you. Results in being more dependent on the Lord as we see our sinful weakness like never before. It results in being more compassionate as we learn to be sensitive and thoughtful to others who are suffering too. You suffer a bit and your heart goes out to others who have suffered. Look, regardless of what you know or don't know about why God has let you suffer so much, the bottom line is that you must trust the Lord, as David did, being confident that God's goodness and God's mercy are following you, never to leave you all the days of your life. We count on it by faith, so that when you're old and you come to the end of your life, you'll be able to look back and testify that God has always been kind to you. Psalm 37, verse 25, David said this, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. What a tremendous testimony. That's what God wants from all of us. I've been young, now I'm old. I look back, I've never seen the righteous forsaken and I've never been forsaken. You see, that's really David's point in Psalm 23, this wonderful shepherd who has been so kind to him as to give peace in his heart, restoration for his soul, protection from his enemies, and physical refreshment to sustain his life will continue being kind to him until he draws his last breath. And then what? What happens after that? What happens after you die? Will the Lord still provide for you then? Well, David tells us in the last line of Psalm 23 what he knew was going to happen to him after he breathed his last breath. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a magnificent way to end such a magnificent psalm. David, still talking about God's kindness, tells us that even when he dies, 
the Lord will continue to be kind to him because at death he will be ushered into the very presence of the Lord where he will dwell with him in his house forever. You see, in referring to the house of the Lord, David is not talking about living in the temple forever, the temple in Jerusalem. How do we know that? Because the temple wasn't built yet. In fact, it would not be built in David's lifetime. God specifically told David, you'll not build it. Your son Solomon will build it. So he can't be talking about the temple. In addition, this can't be the temple on earth because no one could possibly live there forever. That's what David's talking about. So when David says that he'll live in the house of the Lord forever, meaning literally, the word forever could be translated throughout the years, meaning for all time, he's referring to God's house in heaven, the place that Jesus called in the New Testament, my father's house, where he said there were many, many rooms, many abiding places. In other words, David knew that God's goodness and loving kindness would never stop following him. He knew that, he, that they would follow him all the days of his life and they would follow him right into heaven where he would spend all of eternity in the Lord's presence. See, folks, David is using the expression house of the Lord synonymously to speak of heaven. And he's absolutely certain of this. He's sure, he's certain that after death, he would go to heaven. That's the kind of certainty every believer in Christ can have. Why can we have it? Because God tells us that we can have this certainty and assurance. Listen to our Lord's words in John 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What could be clearer? If it were not so, he would have told us. He also said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. See, his goodness and mercy never ends. We will never perish, meaning that we will never be judged for our sins. And why not? How did David have such assurance that he would dwell with God in his house forever. Listen closely. David knew that this was his future because he knew that at some point in the future, the Messiah would be judged for his sins. How do we know that David knew this? Because David explained the purpose of Messiah's death in the previous Psalm, Psalm 22, which he said in verse one, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? He understood that the Messiah would be forsaken by the Father so that all who would accept the Messiah would never be forsaken. That's why David could say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me right into heaven. Now, can you say that? Can you say that and mean that? Do you know for certain that when you die that you wake up in heaven? If not, I want you to know, if not, you can have this assurance, this certainty of going to heaven, because Jesus said in John six forty seven, truly I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. So if you will believe in Jesus Christ in the way the Bible tells you to believe in Jesus Christ, by turning from your sin and trusting him for your salvation with a heart 
of submission to him, then you will have eternal life. That's what Jesus said. You'll never come into judgment because Christ was judged in your place. Now, if you've already trusted Christ for your salvation, then trust that his goodness and his mercy are following you, even if you can't see them. If you can't see them, you can still trust God's heart. You can still trust his word. He promises that they will never leave you because he will never leave you because he is your good shepherd and will lovingly shepherd you right into heaven. And you know what we're going to experience when we get to heaven? We sang that wonderful song earlier about being startled and surprised. But you know what we are going to experience when we get to heaven? One of the things that we will experience in heaven is seeing Christ not only as our shepherd, but we'll see him as our lamb who was sacrificed for our sins. And watch this, our lamb will shepherd us and we will never feel pain or suffer anymore because Revelation 7 17 says, for the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Praise God, suffering is only in this lifetime, won't continue in eternity, but even as you suffer, rest assured that goodness and mercy are right there. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for teaching us such profound truth. Lord, we don't have to know all the answers. We don't have to know exactly why we are suffering. It's enough to know that you love us, that your mercy and kindness is right there. We say, Lord, mold us into the image of your son. Make us more Christ-like, more humble, more dependent upon you, more compassionate, more holy, more loving, more kind, more merciful to others. Lord, help us to trust you even when we can't see what's going on. Even when we don't understand, we can trust your heart. So Lord, we thank you for that. And I pray for any here. First of all, I pray for those who are believers who who struggle with assurance. I pray that you'll help them to know the assurance that, that you give, to be certain, certain that when they die, they'll go to heaven. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, those who are still lost outside of your kingdom. I pray that you'll bring them to yourself. I pray that they'll see their sinfulness, their corrupt hearts, and yet they'll understand the cross, what it means. Draw them to yourself, Lord. Thank you for being our shepherd and for meeting every one of our needs, even even the need of heaven and glory and your grace so that we can go there especially that, Lord, for we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Among the 39 exciting verses in Acts chapter 8, verse 18 seems to jump out at me today. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. An evangelist once told about a friend who had lost his business and his home, and then his wife died. While he was job hunting, he saw some stonemasons working on a large church. One was chiseling a great big triangular stone. Where are you going to put that one, asked the man. The workman said, well, do you see that little opening way up there near the spire? I'm shaping this stone down here so it will fit up there. 
Tears filled the man's eyes as he saw how the Lord was shaping him through his troubles. He shapes us the same way. This is Verse by Verse, and we have just concluded Pastor Steve Kreloff's series on the 23rd Psalm. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're looking for a church and would like to visit Lakeside, I know you'd be welcome. It's located at 1893 Sunset Point Road. If you'd like directions, there's a map at Lakeside's website, lakesidechapel.com. For more information or to talk to someone about what you heard on this broadcast, you can call 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry. To learn how you can get involved, check out our website, versebyverseradio.org. While you're there, you might want to take a look in our archives, where you'll find a large selection of previous broadcasts organized by topic, such as a study of the book of Esther or the character of true disciples. Feel free to stream or download as many as you like and even share them with friends. I'm Jerry Peterson. On behalf of Steve Kreloff and everyone else at Verse by Verse, I want to encourage you to join us next time as Pastor Steve begins another Bible study. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse by We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.